Welcome to PodRx, Prevention in Action. PodRx helps parents and guardians learn more about trends and tips on prescription drug safety and is powered by education technology leader EverFi. Welcome to this edition of PodRx. I'm Jared Latch, and we're very excited to launch the first episode of this podcast. This podcast is supported by the Prescription Drug Safety Network, a national initiative to empower Americans with the knowledge and skills to make safe and healthy decisions about prescription medications. On this episode, we sit down with two educators who will discuss tactics and methods for effectively reaching Gen Z, a critical audience in the fight against prescription drug abuse and misuse. Our guests include Jamie Sparks, the president of a health education nonprofit and best-selling author and generational expert, Gene Twenge. We start with Jamie, the president of Shape America, their mission to advance professional practice and promote research related to health and physical education, physical activity, dance, and sport. Here's Tim Bear and Jamie. Comparing the education and drug prevention of the past to what is taking place now, how do you compare those two? You know, we have a lot more science and, and research driving what uh, changes what, around behavior change, uh, especially with health education. We're applying what we know works better. And so that's one of the things that we're working the hardest on uh, from Shape America is around the concept of skills-based health education, not just getting uh, students to uh, memorize health content and facts, but really to develop skills around decision-making, interpersonal communication, accessing information. Uh, those are life skills. And so I think that's the direction we really see that we're really trying to push because that's, that's what we want students as they graduate from, from school to have those skills going into life to, to equip them for a more successful life. We talk a lot about college readiness or career readiness, but uh, we also have an education system that in the past has not done a very good job with life readiness. So I do think we're starting to make some progress in those areas. For those out there that don't know Shape America, explain what that what that is. Yeah, so Shape America is the it's a society of health and physical educators. Uh, so that's that the Shape is an acronym, uh, and then we have uh, 50 state affiliates. Uh, that uh, so it's the professional association for for health and physical education teachers, um, and then uh, we work with promoting best practices, providing professional development, hosting conferences, um, and just just helping to support what's going on in local level. Uh, through membership, and uh, we're in charge of the national standards for health education and physical education. Uh, we will also work with a lot of our higher ed programs and, and the certification process that teachers go to to become health and PE teachers. Getting back to the students, you talked about how they're digitally connected now. How important is it to meet them where they are and, and provide that education through a digital uh, platform as well? Yeah, you know, we referenced that. I think a lot of us grew up, or in my generation, we grew up, everybody had a textbook. Uh, textbooks are increasingly very, very expensive. And in fact, for most schools and most states, uh, they've not had updated textbook money in a long time. Uh, and so, you know, we have a lot of schools that are doing one-to-one -one devices and, and things like that. Digital platform also allows you to stay very relevant and up-to-date. Another byproduct of that might be that the kids can now take it home as well and have that conversation maybe with their parents. How important is that? We have a generation of parents that are not health literate, uh, haven't been exposed and learned these health skills, it's certainly not from school. If they've learned them, they've learned from home. So, so there's a big equity gap with parents helping to support kids 
and, and having that consistent message, that they, the healthy messages we teach at school, how can parents reinforce that? When we talk about the people supporting these students, who do you see as those possible groups that could really help in this, in this effort? So we look at it from, I think what we, we like to promote and advertise is, is what we call the whole school, whole community, whole child model. And, and so rather than just simply saying health education belongs with a health teacher, it's really a collective impact model and making sure the entire school community and all teachers are helping to reinforce healthy messages. So I think the, the WISC model, the whole school, whole child model, I think that gives us a lot of promise and how we can all work smarter, not harder. A lot of times we fall on the talking stats a lot of times, but can you think anecdotally of some of the stories maybe you've heard or seen as you have taken action in the prescription drug network? I think data is important, but as you said, um, I, I think there's also some of the anecdotal things about what it means in, in, in the real world. It's investing in those skills that kids need, so policies, programs, and practices. Jamie is certainly living out the whole school, whole community, whole child model while using the power and flexibility of technology. Next up, we hear from Dr. Jean-Marie Twenge. Dr. Twenge is an American psychologist and professor at San Diego State University. She has authored a handful of books and focuses her research on generational differences, which she sees as wider than ever. In this conversation, Dr. Twenge points out that there are encouraging signs when it comes to Gen Z or iGen, and how, despite challenges, they may be the generation poised to end the opioid crisis. She also touches upon the mental health issues surrounding students and the effects that digital devices trigger, including depression and sleep deprivation. Tim caught up with her at the recent Prescription Drug Safety Summit in Washington, D.C., where she was a featured speaker. When we get into the conversation uh, about generational health, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you've come to this, this uh, point in your career now? Yeah, so my degrees in personality and social psychology, and I started to become interested in how generations differ from each other uh, as an undergraduate, really, and then into graduate school, because it makes sense that if you grow up at a different time, you're experiencing a different culture. And that can certainly have an impact on your personality and your behavior and your attitudes. So I set about trying to understand systematically how generations differed from each other. And you talked a little bit today about Gen Z and, and their differences between millennials and other generations. Can you explain a little bit more about that for us? Yeah. So millennials are usually defined as those born about 1980 to 1994. And 1995 and afterward, there's clearly a new generation. You look at the data around um, mental health and some behaviors, you can see a real generational shift with those born around the mid-1990s. So some people call that generation Gen Z, but that's based on millennials being called Gen Y, and nobody calls millennials Gen Y anymore. So I think we need another label, and um, I've suggested iGen because it captures that they're the first generation to spend their entire adolescence with smartphones. And how does risk-taking change between those generations? Because it seems like a precipitous change uh, now with iGen. Yeah, so iGen is really interested in safety, and they're not as interested in risk-taking as teens used to be. So it shows up in both their attitudes and their behavior. They're just less likely to say they get a kick out of doing dangerous things or that they like to take risks. 
And while that may sound like a positive, there also is a change when they reach college age and, and their dependence maybe on their parents uh, and their ability to be able to still make decisions on their own because they haven't necessarily faced those challenges already. I, that's what I felt like you were getting to before. Yeah. So there's trade-offs. There's trade-offs in a cultural trend. And, you know, it's a wonderful cultural trend for public health that we have a generation that is waiting longer to drink alcohol, for example, um, and is less likely to misuse prescription drugs. Um, but we also have the challenge that we have a generation who has just not had as much independence as teens. They've been less likely to go out of the house without their parents or get their driver's license or have a paid job. And that means when they get to college, they just don't have as much experience making decisions on their own. And it might be one of the reasons why high-risk drinking has actually not really changed that much for 21 and 22-year-olds. More teens are going from kind of zero to 60 in a really short period of time. So they don't have much experience with alcohol coming into college. And then that becomes the norm. So they experience that more quickly, which can potentially cause more problems. So with depression on the rise, happiness falling, a lot of people ask the question, what happened? Why did this transition happen? It's a multi-step process to try to uh, rule in or out possible causes. So we see this increase in teen depression and unhappiness beginning around 2011 or 2012. Great Recession doesn't seem to be the reason because it was over by 2011 and the U.S. economy improved after that. You can come up with all kinds of possibilities, but there is really very little that had a direct impact on the day-to-day -day lives of most teens, except the advent of the smartphone and how social media became much more common around that time. Obviously, teens getting smartphones had a really big impact on how they spent their time outside of school. Their leisure time really fundamentally shifted. More time with screens and electronic communication, less time sleeping, and less time with their friends face-to-face. -face. That's not a good recipe for mental health. So it certainly could be at least one of the reasons why we see that sudden spike in depression around 2011 or 2012. So picking up on that lack of sleep that you mentioned, you know, uh, it's connected to decision making around drugs and alcohol as well. So can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So, you know, more and more research shows us just how crucial sleep is for good physical and mental health. So when you don't sleep enough, it puts you at risk for depression. It also has an impact on cognitive abilities. And one of the first things to go with sleep deprivation is good decision making. So that's something to think about as a really big issue with young people to make sure that they have good information about how much sleep they need and that they shouldn't be looking at their phones in the middle of the night and they shouldn't even be looking at their phones right before they go to bed because that could have an impact on how well they sleep. One of the things you say is that you believe Gen Z could be the generation equipped to end the opioid crisis. Why do you believe that? We have some great data suggesting that uh, the trend over the last 10 years is for fewer teens to misuse prescription drugs. That trend has been going down. Um, same thing for OxyContin that we have fewer young people, um, specifically 13 to 18-year-olds, who um, are using Oxy without a prescription. So I think that is some really good news, um, that 
they're not doing that as teens. Plus, they're more concerned with safety overall. And they very well might be the generation that can end the opioid epidemic. And Gen Z seems more open to messaging around safety as well than previous generations. It's not, you know, the classic ones that you heard in the past in the 80s and 90s, but they are now open to hearing these messages and sort of learning from them. I think that's one of the key things to recognize about iGen and how to reach them, that many are still young, they're still teenagers, so you have to think about how to, how to reach them around safety, but there are more than used to be who are interested in the idea of staying safe and staying healthy. That isn't always a message that has resonated with teens, but with iGen, that's something they're used to hearing and they're very comfortable with it. They really haven't rebelled against this movement towards safety. They've embraced it. And as we wrap up, you know, your advice for the group that's out there, the Prescription Drug Safety Network, on how, you know, we could further decrease, you know, drug abuse. So I think there's a number of ways to really reach iGen around this. So the first is certainly to emphasize the dangers and the risks in misusing prescription drugs and to frame that message around staying safe, um, to frame that message around um, staying healthy, which is something that iGen is also very interested in. And beyond that, some of the techniques that worked in the past will, will work. It will be, um, hey, you know, this is something fewer people your age are doing. That's always a good message to reach young people, to say, hey, this isn't really popular. This isn't something the cool kids are doing. This isn't something hardly anybody's doing, that you want to stay away from doing these things because that's really not the cool thing to do. That wraps up this first episode of PodRx, Prevention in Action, brought to you by EverFi. Make sure to stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll feature three leaders in the pharmaceutical industry who are committed to investing in the communities they serve through prescription drug safety education. I'm Jared Latch. Thanks for joining us. EverFi is a digital learning leader whose educational courses are used in one in three public high schools in the U.S. EverFi created the Prescription Drug Safety Network to convene public and private organizations who are committed to empowering young people with the knowledge and skills to make healthy decisions about prescription medications. You can find out more about the Prescription Drug Safety Network and its partners by visiting prescriptiondrugsafetynetwork.com.